0: Welcome to PhotoActive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElroy. And I'm Jeff Carlson. So, it's time to look at the photographer's dilemma. Oh, yeah. New computers are available. Today we're going to talk about computers. We're going to talk about Macs. We're not going to talk about cameras because there are always new cameras and lenses available. So that is a permanent dilemma. But we have new Macs that have just been released. And the dilemma is, do you need one? Should you buy one even if you don't need one?
1: Uh, The answer is always yes. You always need a new computer. You should buy one every time. Oh, no, no, wait, wait, wait. Sorry. Need, need, not want. I always get those confused. Yes, (laughs) I want the new computers. Do I need one? Do you need one? Uh, It's a big question. It always comes up.
0: The problem with photography is we have gear acquisition syndrome for the gear we use to take the photos, but we also have gear acquisition syndrome for the gear we use to work on the photos. Assuming we're working digitally, if we're working analog, you basically, you buy an enlarger and you stick with that. You're not going to keep buying new toys like that.
1: I don't know. If there's like a, like a new chrome plated enlarger, did they ever like have those sorts of like upgrades like oh it's a fancy enlarger it's it's not just i don't think so
0: you you know you're in a dark room you don't really see very much so it doesn't matter what it looks like
1: well yeah oh hang on hang on hang on you say it doesn't matter but you know that somebody out there would have paid for like a chrome enlarger for that you know five minutes before they turn the lights out i mean it's just human nature to want the (laughs) the new
0: shiny thing well i would think that It's more lenses for the enlarger that would be the gear that you'd buy. But again, I don't know enough about that. We need to get someone on who can talk about doing prints. So Apple released the M3 Max. Well, they announced them a week ago, and we're recording this on November 7th. And I think they just started shipping um, yesterday and today. This time around, they have the M3, the M3 Pro, and the M3 Max, and the M3 Ultra and the M3 Pro Max Ultra are coming out (laughs) at a later date. It just, it keeps bothering me from the beginning, Pro Max Ultra. So you've got four different processors in the same family. I guess it's better than like the Intel version, this and that. Yeah. You know, whatever Lake processor at this speed, and it's at a different speed, and it makes a difference. I'm kind of happy we don't have megahertz anymore, that we don't have to worry about that. Yeah. But it's it's kind of opaque when we look at these things, what the difference is between the processors
1: um uh, c- kind of I mean actually I think I think Apple has has differentiated them pretty well. I think we're reflexively just responding to it's a pro. Well no, it's not a pro. It's a pro mac it's a max. Wait, is max better than pro? It, you know, like like all, yeah. all of that, but they've been really consistent and it it really does just sort of fit into three categories. Now, it gets more complicated the closer you look at it, which is well, that's why we're here really. Um But just to also clarify that so far there's no M3 Ultra. There probably will be, but Apple just announced the M3, the M3 Pro, and the M3 Max, and uh, MacBook Pros that will run those, and an iMac that will also run those.
0: But the iMac only runs the M3.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah
0: it doesn't get the pro and the max. And so there's another differentiation here of saying the iMac just has one processor. It's for consumers. It's not for pros. So here's what they're doing. They've decided that they're no longer going to, they're trying to divide the market into consumers and pros. Now, if you watched the Apple event that was held on the night before Halloween, which is weird, it was held you know, 5 p.m. California time, and it was filmed in the dark, and it wasn't dark at 5 p.m., but whatever. What they showed was a whole bunch of people doing really pro stuff, and they're doing video and photos, and they're sequencing genomes and folding proteins, and that's like 1% of people, a half a percent of people need that. It's, oh, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I sequence genomes every, you know, Tuesday, <laughs> of course. <clears throat>
0: But, but I, I do mine in the cloud. I upload them to the cloud and I do them <laughs> this and I don't need a fast Mac.
1: Wait, Genome's in the cloud? Doesn't the atmosphere interrupt for that? No, anyway. Um, yes. Okay. First of all, let me just jump in and say uh, there were a lot of people who griped about that event. I thought it was really cool because it was different from their, their standard script. And people were like, oh, it was only 30 minutes and they only announced one thing. And it had this weird Halloween vibe. and I don't know. I thought it was kind of cool. And and maybe if we have time we can talk about the implications of the fact that the whole thing was shot on an iPhone, which is super Yes, we'll get, super we'll get to interesting. that. Interesting. Yeah. But anyway, back to the M3s.
0: What really bothered me is that guy, the Italian guy Johnny down in his basement Johnny talking Sir about Chief. all these specs with transistors and nanometers. No one cares about that. It is filler. Mm, uh, pros No care. one cares. Well, no. OK, Pros so don't care how many transistors there are in a chip. Seriously,
1: uh, they don't. But always, always remember, this is a marketing event. And so you
0: like it's for the press as much for the consumers.
1: It's for the press as much as the consumers. But it's also the the here is why you should be excited about this. And, you know, d- despite all of the pushback and I mean, you remember the whole megahertz gigahertz all those days when it just it just seemed to be white noise and this is also kind of white noise but people respond to these kinds of technological improvements i mean they they're saying like we we're able to do this very cool technological stuff and you know for most people it probably goes over their head and they don't care but it's still interesting and i think they're trying to tell the story of we are Apple, we're not just making something that's faster, we are innovating in the processor space. And I, I mean, maybe I think this is as much for the people who are in that, that industry, in the processor industry. I mean, I can only imagine that the people at Intel were probably just like deflated because they <laughs> they can't make anything yet that that compares to these chips. And they've been working on it. I mean, even the M1 chip with its its you know good power conservation and performance, the the things that Intel is coming out with, you know, yes, here's a processor that's faster than what anything that Apple can do. Well, that's fine if you can plug that into a you know a big power socket and be able to handle a, a wind turbine in your computer to keep it cool. And so, I think. As much as this is, you know, a consumer event, I think that little part, especially with, again, the very intense Johnny Swoogie, who is intense anyway, and, and, and doing this in like a dark room, where you're like, I don't want to meet that guy in a dark room. <laughs> but I think this is also a way of Apple saying, look, we are way ahead of everybody, and we have this amount of of performance increase, and you still have all day battery life and all of that. So a lot of it is apple flexing granted but i think some people respond to like oh well this thing is more amazing than the other one because it has more more things it's got more transistors ooh what does that mean i don't care it's got more
0: i have a playlist of johnny serugi's discussions pre- presenting um processors that i use when i can't sleep <laughs> it is the most dry boring thing that in any of these apple events it really is <laughs> It's just, it's boring. So I want to just talk about the non-pro market segment. Because the, the, the M3, we said the iMac only comes with a basic M3. It will not come with an M3 Max or an M3 Pro. And the existing iMac, which is about two and a half years old, is still only ever had an M3 without modifier, basic processor. And Apple just yesterday said, we'll link to an article in The Verge where someone from Apple said, we're not going to update the 27-inch iMac. Now, you could read this two ways, because the 24.5-inch, which is the current iMac, was not an update of the 21.5-inch. It was a new size with smaller bezels, so the basic size of the computer was about the same. Maybe they're just not going to come up with a 27, but they're going to come up with a 30 or a 32. Or maybe they've decided, this is the consumer market. We've got one size for consumers, one processor, very limited. You can choose memory, 8, 16, or 24 gigs. You can choose SSD, 5, 12, 1 terabyte, or 2 terabytes. And that's it. Pretty simple choice. Pros buy the Mac Studio with the Apple Studio display. Twice as expensive, obviously. But, you know, if you want a desktop computer for pros, that's what you get. I- I've always been of two minds about the MacBook Pro, because you use a MacBook Pro, right? You I don't do, You don't have yeah. an iMac. That's true. And you connect it to an external display. Yes. So you you disconnect it when you go work in a coffee shop. So you're a digital nomad and you use both desktop and portable. So that other option exists of buying the MacBook Pro with a faster processor and connecting an external display. You don't have to get the Mac Studio. So there are these three options for the desktop, basic iMac, uh, the Mac Studio and external display and the MacBook Pro. Of any of the different processors and any of the different memory and storage choices with an external display, or even two, or four, or eight, or I don't know how many.
1: Yeah, well, and uh, one thing that that uh, is no longer in the conversation is there, and and I think this is part of the the twenty seven inch iMac concern that some people have is that there was the iMac Pro for a while, and for I want to say what two years or so that was the most powerful mac that you could buy even more so than than the tower and
0: well the mac and the mac pro hadn't been updated for years
1: exactly and so that became the professional mac and so i think some people liked that because they got this super powerful mac with the screen a really big beautiful display uh I, i mean maybe that was 5k display on
0: on that? Yeah. So, you know... Yeah, it was a 27-inch 5K.
1: Exactly. So really nice, really nice computer. And I think, you know, some some people miss that, some pros miss that and are wondering, well, why why doesn't Apple, they have all the pieces to make an iMac like that? And I think the simpler answer is Apple just decided now that we have the Mac Studio and we have the studio display, that's a better option. And that way they can you know pack as much hardware into a a small package but a larger package than what you need to fit onto the the case of an iMac especially this newer design which is very svelte very thin and so i think it's just not worth them tooling up the resources to make a larger iMac it probably doesn't have a huge amount of demand because I mean, what are people asking for? They're asking for a larger screen. Well, if you want a larger screen, then here's the studio display. And there you go.
0: It's worth noting that in Apple's latest earnings call, which was a few days after this presentation, I'm not sure if I've got the right number, but Mac sales were down 37% year over year, something like that. When you listen to this Apple presentation, when they were talking about uh, the new Macs, they were comparing them to M1 Macs as well as to M2 Macs. They were even comparing them to Intel Macs. They sounded really needy, like, please buy this Mac. If you have an Intel, please upgrade (laughs) to this Mac. We really need you to. And it kind of suggests that uh, someone pointed out that this represents $8 billion a year. It'll be a Fortune 500 company, just the Mac segment of Apple. But the Mac segment of Apple is small compared to even services now. So it suggests that Apple, I don't want to say they don't care that much, but they've got their captive market. They've got their they are sort of upgrade rhythm for all these things and in some ways, simplifying the product lineup a little bit which is not the case with all the different processors but simplifying it to only have one size iMac to look for the Mac Studio for you know desktop maybe it kind of makes sense the the thing is though they weren't trying to of course people don't generally update Macs every year and they weren't trying to get people to upgrade from the M2 they were comparing it to the M2 but if you Compared to the M1, well, then it's much faster. So they're looking at people like me who have an M1 iMac, bought it just when it came out, and two and a half years later, is the first upgrade. I have said on this podcast and others, I'm keeping this iMac for at least five years. And before the show, Jeff was asking me, even with two uh, macOS upgrades, has anything been slower? Nothing has. Except for the number of bounces when I launch Microsoft Word, which may have gotten slower over time, but that's the only app that's slow.
1: That is not um, the processor. That is not the that's machine. That's not the processor. There. No. <laughs> well, no, okay. No. I, I, I want to point out something. Uh, first of all, the Intel factor I think is a bigger factor than than what some people may think, because, and uh, uh, I have to give credit to my friend Andrew Lawrence who pointed this out that there are probably just a glut of Intel Macs that got sold at the beginning of the pandemic. Because if you remember, people suddenly had to work from home. Yeah. there were a lot of iMacs, a lot of uh, you know MacBook Airs, laptops, and all of that. And even though the M series are much better than the Intel's, and and the, you know I, I will say this right now: if you have an Intel Mac and you move to any of the M series, that is going to be the best computer upgrade you have experienced in your life. It's really stunning. But at the same time, those Intel Macs, they still work well. I mean, they're only, you know, two and a half, three years old. So I think there are probably a lot of people holding on to those. And they, sure, they might think that, you know, an an M3 iMac looks pretty good. But as long as their current machine works, then it's fine. I mean, my wife is a great example because her laptop she's she's just now starting to ask me like oh what would a new macbook uh, cost because she's using a 2013 macbook pro so her computer is a 10 year old computer and i will say this with all the love in my heart that it's painful whenever i have to do something <laughs> on her computer but she doesn't really know the difference. She has a, uh, I think she has a, an M1 MacBook Pro that she uses for work, but that's that's like work stuff. And so the stuff that she does at home is not even remotely, I mean, it's, it's using photos and financial stuff.
0: So for someone like that, I would actually recommend going for the $999 MacBook Air in the old form factor, Eight gigabytes of RAM. I had one for a year. It's fine. It will do everything you need for someone who's not doing a lot.
1: Yes, although that brings up a good a good question: is should anybody really buy an eight gig Mac these days? That this is something that's that's come up because the the base M three is eight gigs. It has the the binned processor, so it has fewer active cores um, because. This is just a way to spend less money. Um, I think it's a mistake, but think of the person, the person who is not going to be doing a whole lot on it. Like, like, like for her, having more storage is going to be much more important, more internal storage sure. because of photos and things than yeah. however much uh, memory RAM that it has.
0: If you look at the basic MacBook Air, the 13-inch, it starts at 1099 That's $100 more than the M1 um, MacBook Air, the old MacBook Air, the old form factor. As you say, if you're going to spend an extra $200, I'd put it into storage rather than putting it into memory. When I had the M1 MacBook Air, it was fine. I was throwing things at it, and I had no problem. When I upgraded my iMac to the M1, because I've always had a desktop and a laptop, I tested the two of them. Uh, The iMac has 16 gigs, and there was no difference in speed. Now, I did want to point out something that I mentioned before we started recording. The problem if you buy the base model, any base model Mac with 256 gigabytes of SSD storage, that SSD is much slower than the 512. And I noticed this when I first bought a MacBook Air. Um, I bought it with 16 gigs, but 256 SSD. And I noticed it was slower than the 8 gig MacBook Air. So I returned it and I was able to get a discount on a MacBook Air from someone I know who works at Apple. And I spec that one out. I went to 16 gigs, um, 512 storage, and I got the faster processor option. But if you buy the cheapest Mac, and this is the case for the new MacBook Pro as well as the MacBook Air, with 250 gigabytes of storage, it's slower. Now, again, your wife might not notice that It's she has a 10-year-old... MacBook Pro, it's still got a a, a <laughs> hard drive in it. It's got the no, thing. No, well, no, 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 no. Maybe, no. It probably SSD. has an SSD.
1: Actually, hers was the first Retina uh, display. She had, she. Uh, you know, the, the way this sometimes works, she had the best computer in the house for a long time. Uh, and I was I was just always very envious of that Retina display. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. But anyway, we want to talk more about the M3 uh, MacBook Air for photographers. Do you need one? Nah. If you got an Intel Mac, do you need one? Definitely. As Jeff said, best upgrade ever. It would be kind of like what I felt when I upgraded from a Mac with a hard drive to a Mac with an SSD. Yes. It was that, it'll be that order of magnitude. The eight core uh, Mac has four performance cores. These are the ones that work when you're doing something that requires work, right? Exactly. And the efficiency cores are the ones that do all the basic stuff in the background. And I'm looking at, I use an app called ISTAP Menus. We'll put a link in the show notes. It puts some stuff in the menu bar, like the, what the cores are doing, how much memory is being used, um, bandwidth, et cetera. I very rarely see the performance cores, the four to the right, do anything more than a tiny blip. I actually did something this morning. The first time I've heard the fan on the iMac in a very long time, I converted a video that someone sent me, a hour video. It was five gigabytes. Uh-huh and I needed to convert it to a smaller size to put it on the web. Took 30 minutes for an hour video, and the four cores, and the fan was actually going, it wasn't loud like, you know, a fan on an older Mac. Yeah. But it was the first time I've heard that in a long time. Yeah. So yes, you you have performance cores, you have efficiency cores, and whatever you do, the efficiency cores are going to be roughly the same speed, whether it's an M1, an M2, or an M3.
1: Yeah. So let me ask this question. Um, We've already, actually, let let me set this baseline. So you have an M1 iMac. I have an M1 Max uh, MacBook Pro. So mine was was from uh, 2021. Um, You said you haven't really noticed anything in terms of slowdowns or anything in general. What about in terms of working with photos? Because this is going to apply to some people, not everybody, but some people. If you have uh, cameras that produce larger files, so like in your case, you're like Q3. Has larger, what, 60 megapixel files? And how large are
0: those? 60 megapixel files, and the Q2 Monochrome was 47. But what I notice when I look is that the files aren't that much bigger. In fact, some of them are smaller. They do take a little bit longer to look at in QuickBook, but this could be because they're color and not black and white. Maybe there's just a different way of it being processed by QuickBook or anything else in the Photos app. Um, So they do take a little bit longer. When I open a photo in the Photos app, Sometimes I make a change and I see a progress bar in the Photos app.
1: Okay, yeah. So I think that once you're starting to get into that that realm, or, you know, let's say you've got like a, like a Sony full-frame 60-megapixel, uh, you know, like uh, if you're regularly shooting a lot of those and processing a lot of those, that's just going to take more processing power just to even create thumbnails, do edits, um, and especially if you're going to like, you know, uh, do any sort of batch processing.
0: But do the performance cores even do that? I just pressed the space bar on a quick look, and I guess I saw the performance cores move a tiny little bit. Actually, they're kind of quick now on the iMac, and they seemed, they seem quicker than they've been in the past. So it, it's, there's not a big enough difference in the file size to judge. As you say, if you're, if you're shifting from—a better example would be if you're going from 12-megapixel iPhone photos to 48-megapixel iPhone photos, if they're raw, both of them. So that's a a bigger difference in size. But again, this is a moot point. Does it matter if it takes a half a second more to view a photo in the Finder? I think the issue is if you're a pro, you're shooting a wedding, and you're color grading hundreds of photos, you're going to want a faster processor because you're going to save minutes, Yeah. maybe not an hour, but you're going to save minutes. And those minutes add up if you're a pro, especially because... You're applying presets to a bunch of photos. You're doing color grading. You do all sorts of things to make them um, consistent. And that's something that's time consuming.
1: Yeah. Well, and also, I think even if you are, like, if you're a landscape photographer and you are uh, making panoramas or you are um, doing, like, like HDR uh, composites of, uh, you know, merging exposures together, when you have those large files, like. That's when things really start to impact things in in Lightroom or Capture One and all that. So, I mean, we're sort of dancing around a very obvious thing, which is if you are in any way pro, then it's worth it to go either with the pro or the max, or if you are doing anything more than just, you know, taking
0: snapshots, putting them into the photos app. I want to put that differently. If... Anything you do with your photos seems slow, then you need to consider upgrading. Because these M series processors from the M1 to the M2, I don't have an M3, nothing seems slow. Mm -hmm. Nothing. Literally nothing seems slow that I've done. So if you're doing something that's more demanding and it does seem slow, then you might get an upgrade. But you can't upgrade from the M2 Max to the M3 basic, right? You've got to jump up at equivalent or faster. If you have a Pro, you can't. Do you want to stick with the Pro? Do you want to go with the Max and get an extra bump? Because it looks like the bump isn't that great uh, among the three processors. But the one thing that I noticed, and, and I'm not sure how much this applies to photography, is that it's not just the processor speed, but the memory bandwidth changes. The basic M3 has 100 gigabytes per second. The M3 Pro has 150. The M3 Max has 300 gigabytes per second for the 14-core and 400 gigabytes per second for the 16-core. So that means that's a fourfold difference, right? From 100 gigabytes for the M3 to 400 gigabytes for the 16-core M3 Max, it costs about $9,000. But if the memory bandwidth is important, and depending on what you're doing, it may or may not be, then that's something that's going to save you a lot of time. Plus, you can go up to 128 gigabytes of memory on the M3 Max which is almost obscene. <laughs> it's obscene unless you
1: are editing video regularly or doing the the you know protein folding and all those things that, that we mentioned. And in that case, it's super easy like you need the very expensive, very fast all of that. That I, I I don't think that applies to anybody and actually if that applies to anybody in our uh listenership, listener listener to any of our listeners uh, I would love to hear what you're using that for because, you know, like that's for most people, for most photographers even, that's that's kind of a, a giant leap. But, you know, like for some people, that really does make a big difference.
0: You know, we always – we're getting to the end of our allotted 30 minutes, and I just want to sum up to say that we always – See these examples of people doing eight K video and protein folding and DNA sequencing, but no one talks about the basic tasks of photography. I would like to see a lab test something like doing specific, you know, types of things in Lightroom Photoshop, um, maybe another couple of apps across the different families of processors. It would be a lot of work. It would require a test suite, yeah, multiple computers to find out. I don't think photography is really going to benefit from it because when you're doing video, it's constant, right? You're looking at the video and it's kind of streaming.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When you're editing a photo, it's you edit the photo and it's over. So you don't notice, you might notice a lag with video that you wouldn't with photos. Again, what's the cutoff point? Having hundreds of photos that you're doing something to, but even then, if it takes 30 seconds to do it, is it worth, let's see, 4699 for the... 14-inch MacBook Pro with the 16-core CPU, 128 gigs of RAM, and I didn't even up the storage from a terabyte. 4699.
1: <laughs> yes. My gosh, you could almost get a Leica for that.
0: <laughs> you could get well, just shy of a Leica. If you go to, let's see. You get half of a Leica. 4 terabytes at 5699, you get a Leica Q3.
1: Yeah. And for some people, that's what they need, and, and also for some people, that's what their company's budget will allow. And you know that has has but all those see,
0: things. But see, that's totally different. Exactly, if it's a business paying for it,
1: exactly, it
0: doesn't matter.
1: Okay, right. I want to I want to throw in one more thing here that we haven't talked about that is kind of like all over the place. The GPU performance on these new M three chips is much improved, and they they said that there's there's a way of dynamically caching. The information with GPU, and that basically means that it's just being more efficient. Now, how does that affect photographers? Well, it all depends on if your software really takes advantage of the GPU, and a lot of them surprisingly still don't. Like Lightroom, for example, I think is there are some places where uh, the GPU kicks in, I think, to uh, you know render thumbnails and things like that. But I believe, predominantly, Lightroom is still using the CPU for most of its operations. And so I think that's gradually going to change because you can really get amazing results when you rely more on the GPU, and especially, you have, especially when you have processors that are better at GPU stuff. But so far none of the the, the photo apps really hit that hard and really take advantage of it because from what I understand, that is a massive engineering uh, feat. Like supporting GPUs on the Mac is fairly straightforward. I'm not a programmer, but once you get on the Windows side, it's just this giant macrocosm of specs and, and all sorts of things. So for right now, You'd be like, oh, I've got this fantastic new GPU, but you may not see a whole lot of difference in your photo apps because it's just not taking advantage
0: of it. It's a good point. I remember some years ago when they introduced the possibility to have an external GPU that you connected by Thunderbolt. Yes. That didn't last long because I guess no one really supported it, did they, in software?
1: I think only Apple did. And I think it probably only really worked for like Final Cut Pro. And so f- yeah for the for the big editing houses that needed that kind of iron, that's what they got, but then iron, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but then I think big the, iron. I think the 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 Mac studio came out and basically made all of that literally obsolete, and then they were like, "Okay, don't need to do that anymore.
0: Do you know who they're really making the MacBook Pro for, and they didn't really mention it? Oh, who. People using Xcode. Oh, yeah. Xcode is incredibly processor intensive. And they're looking at all the developers out there even making iPhone apps. Mm -hmm. And all of these people will benefit from these, maybe not the GPU so much, but I would assume Xcode is going to take advantage of it, but it's not GPU intensive, right? Um, When you're building a project, it's more processor intensive. And all of these people will benefit from these new Macs. So maybe, in fact, maybe the only reason that Apple is still making Pro level Max is so they can get developers to use them with Xcode. <laughs> I think that's I, a on too social creepy, media. Yeah. I see developers complain about how laggy and slow Xcode is all the time. Yeah. Every new generation, then they get a new Mac, and it's good for a while. Then it gets slow. It's like it's kind of like I don't know. It it's just it feels like people complaining about Microsoft products sometimes.
1: Nobody complains about Microsoft products. Come on. All right, let's go to snapshots. Let's do snapshots. Um, I have like a little tiny, tiny snapshot. So I was out uh, photographing one day and uh, I was shooting a waterfall. I got down real low. I had a tripod and I was doing long exposures and it was a really nice experience, blah, blah, blah. And I got up and uh, put my stuff back in my bag, went back. And I realized that at some point, The little cup around my viewfinder had come off and was probably there in the creek. Um, I did go back and look for it. And, you know, black cup, dark creek wasn't going to happen. Fortunately, you can either go without like you don't necessarily need it, but I actually kind of like it. And so I went, of course, on Amazon and I found replacement cups for the model of my my camera so i i still have an xt3 fuji xt3 and i found this jjc viewfinder eye cup eyepiece for fuji and it lists a whole bunch of different uh fuji um models uh it, it basically it was like eight or ten dollars i think right now it says it's eight dollars um i probably i think i spent 10 either because i got something else or tax and all that um but it's just like it's this tiny little thing where. It felt weird to shoot without it, and for eight bucks, I could just replace it. So, um, obviously, I, I mean, I'll, I'll link to the one that I got, but if you need one of these, you can go and search for your model and you will find it. And, you know, it's perfectly fine. Kirk, what about you? What do you have this week?
0: I have another photo book. It's been a while. It's been a it while. It has been a while another Michael Kennan book. I've heard. I, I will admit, I buy every one of his books. This one is called Photographs and Stories. And he's celebrating 50 years as a photographer. Mm. And for this book, he selected one photo from each year, uh, indicative of the type of work he was doing, from his earliest photos when he was you know, in school, um, moving on through um, once he developed his technique, when he moved to the Hasselblad, some commercial photos, etc. If you're familiar with his work, you'll see a lot of photos that are in other books. But what's really interesting is in the back of the book, there's about... 200, 250 words about each photo, where he's talking about where he was in his career, which camera he had just gotten, how he was approaching photography, and all of that. Um, he's a very good writer. I mentioned a book a year or so ago that he had taken photos of the school he went to. He had gone to a seminary school, and he went back and took a bunch of photos of the school after it had closed down, with a very long narrative, about 40 pages, of about his life in the seminary school and how he discovered photography. He's a very good writer. I would like to see him write more about the photographic experience, about—like, he's referencing different photographers when he's talking about some of the photos he's making. He's talking about Bill Brandt and Eugène Jay and Cartier-Bresson, et cetera, which are, you know, every photographer has influences, and it's interesting to see this. So it's called Photographs and Stories um, from Nasraeli Press. It's about $75, which is the usual price. Fairly large book, lovely printing. And you do get an overview of his career instead of the more thematic books that are looking say all of his photos of Japan and his photos from England et etc
1: that right there sounds like an amazing photo project, like what if you went back and like just pick one one photo from every year since you became a photographer or I became or you know anyone listening
0: but we don't have the archives that someone like he does yeah I, I mean. No, if you but... remember if you remember a while back, I posted the one of the first photos I took with an HP camera, one megabyte HP yeah. photo from up in the Alps, but I don't have photos from every year. I didn't take a lot of photos until about, I guess about 12 years ago. So there's a whole period when all I was doing was snapshots and nothing serious. But mm-hmm. okay, we could do a project, look back in every year and find a photo every year. Maybe it's worth thinking about. Yeah, maybe that's a... One photo.
1: Yeah, yeah, one photo. Maybe that's a a winter project when we're...
0: Okay, when we have no other ideas for an episode.
1: When we have no other ideas.
0: (laughs) Okay, so this episode will come out a little bit before Black Friday. If I can do the math, it'll be about the 17th, so it's a week before Black Friday. The photo market's kind of weird right now. I don't think there's going to be big discounts because the things that are selling well are selling so well that they're not going to be discounted. But it's always a good time to pick up SD cards and battery packs and all those things. So keep your eyes on all the usual places to find some accessories or new cameras or lenses. Lenses are often on sale for Black Friday.
1: Yeah, and uh, we will if we find some things. Usually, I will uh, post links to you know maybe SD card sales or something uh, to our Photoactive Facebook group. So, um, or if you find deals that you think are are worth uh, looking at then go to the group and post something there too.
0: Okay, until next time, Jeff.
1: Until next time, see you.
0: Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com groups photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to PhotoActive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast app.